Hi, everyone. My name is Catherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Companies, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $120 million in savings over the last 20 years for our clients. Joining us today is Dr. Steven Simon. Dr. Simon is the originator of the concept of safety culture. In 1983, he coined the phrase and developed a successful methodology for implementing culture-based strategies that improve safety performance. With mastery in the science of organizational behavior and adroit in navigating the complexities of organizational change, Dr. Simon continues to blaze a trail in what is now the international movement of safety culture optimization. Welcome, Simon. Thank you very much, Catherine. Good to be here. Absolutely. And I, I really look forward to, to just hearing your, your insight and your experience in safety because it's, it's such an integral part of, of the workforce today. It sure is. Yep. Yeah, it is. Um, now, you're frequently called the father of safety culture. What what led to your focus on workplace safety? Well, it, it's a great question because uh, as an organizational psychologist, um, I uh, worked with different organizations and um, fell into safety the way uh, people often do in a career, uh, which is pretty much by chance. A friend of mine was selling um, uh, safety awards to companies and the plan manager said to her, we have deeper motivational problems that are going to be solved by providing someone with a ball cap and a logo on it. Um, do you happen to know any motivational psychologists? And she asked me if uh, I've done work in the field and um, I had read a book on uh, corporate culture and uh, I had done work in uh, therapeutic communities. Um, the therapeutic community idea for substance abuse is to take uh you know provide a place for individuals to go uh get themselves cleaned up and then learn how to live a, a productive life you know as, as as folks know it, it was a revolution because it didn't focus on the individual in the doctor's office it focused on the impact of community and i realized there was uh they were successful as anti-addiction communities and it struck me uh, and anti-addiction cultures. What, what about an anti-accident culture? And came up with the idea of that would be a safety culture and where the culture of the organization, in our case, manufacturing and service, you know, and, and the public private sector, uh, could have an impact on uh, individuals. And so I went out, that was 1983, I got started, uh, found up until that time, you know, safety was pretty much the three E's. It was uh, engineering, uh, enforcement, and education. You know, you identify the hazard, you engineer it out, you create a policy, you enforce it, uh, you train or educate, you know, employees on how to follow the policy. And there was a little bit of behavior focus, uh, but I felt that the focus on behavior and would later came to be known behavior-based safety. Um, it was really too much uh, uh, aimed at the individual and that behavior change without culture change doesn't doesn't last. So, you know, I 
created a methodology, uh, started speaking to the National Safety Council, American Society of Safety Engineers, and so on and so forth, and the, and the whole concept, and, and got really good results by focusing on, the cult, focusing on the culture of the organization as applied to modifying individuals' uh, uh, you know, unsafe habits and behaviors, and uh, the rest is kind of uh, history. That's how it got started. Absolutely, and I think the, the differences in, in how different companies actually approach safety, I'm sure has, has just dramatically changed over the last couple of decades. And, and you've worked with different companies like, like Harley Davidson, GE, Thermo Fisher, Toyota. Uh, you know, what, what are those differences that you've seen in really how companies address safety? I mean, it's, you know, it's a great question. When you look when you look at the way things were 20, 30 years ago until now, that that's uh, how did companies address safety back then? Um, it was pretty much all on the physical side. You do inspections and so on and so forth. And uh, now, so much of it is focusing on behavior and culture and leadership uh, as well. That's a, a huge change. I, I think the the way I I think of it is there's kind of a maturity path that that companies go through and back in the 80s it was just establishing safety as a value and you know the slogans up on the wall safety's first safety's number one uh you know whether whether it was or not it was establishing the value including in, in many annual reports and mission statements and so on um then it moved in the 90s much more to uh, working with leadership and realizing that the shadow that leaders cast impacts employee behavior um and I think, uh, you know, our focus at Culture Change Consultants has always been then to move to the grassroots so it's not only top down but bottom up as well because, uh, you know, once once again for, for change to be sustainable and really to reach the peer groups, it, it has to be driven by, by the peer groups. So different industries kind of came onto that maturity scale at different times, um, but I would I would say it's not, from my experience, others may have different experiences. It's not so much the difference in industries as the difference in individual companies. So GE was a leader in manufacturing all the way back mm -hmm. in the 80s. Uh, you know, their company like Thermo Fisher, leadership in the, in the pharmaceutical side, General Motors was first uh, in the uh, auto space. Um, mm -hmm. And then other companies kind of came along fo following these leaders. And now, you know, in 20, 2021, most Fortune 500, you know, companies are have, have very, very good uh, safety commitment and safety programs, um, and the the lacks are much more in the, you know, the, the kind of cracks in the in, in the are much more that they have to fill in are much more in the culture than it is on the program side. Okay, and so when 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 you're looking at the different organizations like. Harley Davidson, like GE, like General Motors, that you know that you mentioned, uh, is there a difference in really how they approach it in terms of their their actual industry, like like you said, or or is it very much just establishing something that works for all? I think that um, when you mention those companies in particular, another dividing point has to do with whether it's a union. Uh, facility or whether it's it's not. I think there are differences when you have. So it had, you know, I was fortunate enough to be the lead consultant for General Motors on its global safety culture change effort. Um, and uh, at the very beginning, 
uh, we got the union involved. And that was the key. Um, too many companies begin their uh, safety culture journeys with management only, or sometimes a safety department only. And creating a safety culture has to be a partnership effort. Um, and in a union site, in, in some ways it's easier because uh, you know, the, the union uh, has as part of, you know, a key part of its mandate to provide, you know, a safe workplace. And sure, there are differences between union and management. They fight, you know, sometimes in some instances. But I have seen much greater partnerships now than, than I did than did before. Um, so I think that uh, that's a huge that's a huge split in terms of how how companies approach. Um, otherwise, in non-union sites, uh, I guess what I've seen is that it's either the safety department that drives the change, or if you happen to have one or two leaders, operations leaders, that you know, for have become passionate um, and are strongly, strongly committed to safety, then then they will. But it's not. It, it takes a while to to reach the partnership uh, level. Uh, absolutely, and I think you see a lot of that change happening with, especially over the last couple of years, when now employees are either working virtually or it's very removed from 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 different people. You know, be it space or be it. Uh, be it companies that have multiple locations, you know, how I'm sure that the focus on, on workplace safety, even just within a physical scope um, has changed, but even over a mental kind of well-being scope, you know, um, Dorn recently held a wellness think tank with 30 wellness directors and, and mental health was just a very large part of their focus for 2022 and beyond. Is that something that you've seen as well? Yeah, that's terrific. I, look, I, I think particularly because of the pandemic, that's exactly something that I've seen. Um, you know, I'm sure like Doran, we had to shift uh, our almost our entire business model to go virtual uh, starting in March 2020 when a whole no, number of our clients just went into hibernation, you know, so, and understandably, I uh, can't do anything in person. And virtually, a lot of what we heard in focus groups and safety culture assessments, uh, you know, was um, the stresses and strains of working from home um, for, and, and a lot of times the polarization, uh, we work with a lot of utilities where the line workers, the electricians and the gas uh, service reps, they're, they're out in the field, um, but supervision and management are sitting at home. And, you know, they're, you, Create that created some real tension, but for the folks at home, as I'm sure you've discovered, uh, you know there are mental health and 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 uh, uh, life work balance issues that just didn't that come up from being virtual that did not exist before. You know, when do I stop work at the end of the day? Why am I receiving telephone calls at ten at night? You know, why you know why is my company setting setting these limits? Uh, and you know the stress of having to do it all. So yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. I think I also have seen an increase in uh, focus on wellness and just a more holistic view that physical and mental health all uh, impact safety. Absolutely. And, and how different companies can approach that with their employees, you know, having them understand that that like the senior leadership understands kind of the, some of the stresses that come with being virtual, that come from being away from a typical work environment, I think is is huge and has really come into focus now. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now 
while working with General Motors, they were actually able to reduce their injury and illness rate by 95% while they reshaped their culture over a 10-year period, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, that, that that's a complete 180 shift from, from a typical environment. Uh, what were the hurdles faced when you were working with employees with those ingrained work habits? Because I know that that we, we we really saw that even, you know, how you've said over the pandemic of people learning how to manage those those changes. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, when it comes to impacting ingrained work habits in uh, old line companies that have been around for 50, 75 or 100 years, you know, like 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 General Motors. Right. And are lucky enough to have tenured employees with you know high skill sets, um, but who learn their safety habits uh, back in the day before uh, safety was uh, quite as important uh, as it is now. Um, I, I think the key is to recognize that um, the safety culture change has to be top down and bottom up at the same time. That you're not done just because you finish working with leadership. Um, in the case of General Motors, I mean, it's a fascinating uh, project for me. Um, you know, Paul O'Neill, who's a legend now in the safety, safety world, he used to be the chairman of, uh, of Alcoa. He uh, visited General Motors, he joined the board of directors, and uh, he asked the board, how are we doing safety performance? And uh, they looked and discovered they'd had, you know, about four fatalities a year from 1970s until the 1990s. Um, and, uh, and he said, uh, you know, we, we can do better. And to their right. credit, they, you know, we had, did some benchmarking and uh, had folks from Alcoa come over who discovered that the only difference between General Motors and Alcoa, and Alcoa was world-class safety, uh, they said, was that we, we at Alcoa don't reach into machines while they're moving, and you do reach into machines while you're moving at General Motors. We have the culture and leadership. You have a lot of great, you know, four-color brochure programs. And they set out to work to develop the culture. Um, and I was invited in to speak to the, you know, heads, heads of manufacturing General Motors. Uh, I had one hour to do it. And the and the only point I made was that you worked for a hundred years on the three E's, you know, the engineering, enforcement, and education. And you haven't, but you don't work the culture. You got to start working the culture. And uh, they were very open to it. We went off site for a day. Uh, they, um, you know, really looked at their own behavior first as executives when it came to safety. And I remember the head of the truck trucking division said every Monday I call in to my uh, five truck uh, manufacturing plants, each one has thousands of people. And I asked the plant manager two questions. Um, how many trucks did we manufacture last week and what was our quality score? He said, I am never in my 20 year tenure in this position asked how many people did we hurt. And he said, I can see, you know, why we have the culture that we have. And they set out to change it. And uh, but so that was top down. But the reason it took 10 years is they acknowledged and understood, uh, and they were partnering with the union, that they had to get into every one of their 160 plants at the time and really begin to work from the grassroots up. So, so to me, you know, when it comes to ingrained work habits, um, it's really being on the floor, you know, with uh, the folks that are at the greatest risk, you know, the, the workers who require the support and commitment for leadership, but it's not just a leadership uh, intervention. 
Right. And, and working with those employees, whether it's out on the floor, whether it's getting them information in terms of what they can do when different situations arise, I think is so important when you're really talking with, say, like a, a broad group of people out on a floor. It's not just the workers with ingrained work habits. Sometimes it's someone being trained where they've never had to deal with some of the machinery. Uh, did, did you see a difference in how kind of the injury prevention and safety was approached when you're working with kind of a multi-generational workforce? You know, it's interesting. I think uh, I think what, what I, I've seen with that is um, it, it does so it does depend so much on on the on the industry so so take the utilities for example i mean utilities if you can be an electric line worker you go to apprentice school uh and it takes you years to become a journeyman so there is a built-in not only training program but but uh, effort at at inculcating a, a safety mindset um you know from the company to newer to newer workers um now if you ask uh, you know, some of the uh, older timers, uh, you know, in utilities across the country, um, you know, they'll, they'll say something that, that I think is just great. The, the more enlightened ones will say, you know, these new kids, um, they're a different generation. They didn't grow up working on cars. Um, you know, they're not real good with their hands yet. And mostly they want to, you know, get off at the end of the day and, uh, you know, either go to the beach or go to the bar, whatever it happens to be. And, and, and but then, then the more enlightened ones say, but when I really think about it, I was that way too when I was 20 <laughs> and so on. And the less enlightened ones, you know, say it's almost impossible to, to train them. Um, uh, having said that, I think the utilities do a great job because it's built in. I think what I've seen in other companies where it's not built in, they just bring in a new hire. They give them a one day orientation to the company. They throw them out there you know, into the workplace, uh, there's a lot, a lot different, a lot of different challenges that, that really, really end up focusing around communication between, uh, you know, the, the younger generation and the folks that have been doing the job for a long time, not, not even to mention the supervisors. Right. And I think communication is such a large part of that and also really striving for retention. That's, that's ultimately what you want to see within a safety program and safety culture, because you can you can give them the information and the tools that, that they need, but employees ultimately have to be utilizing that over extended periods of time. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we've all been reading in the paper in the last last few months about uh, you know retention and and the great drawdown of people after. COVID, you know, so many people just leaving their jobs and, um, you know, in many instances starting, starting out on their own. So retention, I think now is, it's never been more important. Um, and, and I would agree with you that to the, the degree to which, you know, the workplace people, the company makes the workplace a place, a great place to work where folks want to be in, uh, that's obviously going to positively impact retention. Right. And, now, now, you recently wrote just this great article entitled Creating a Work Culture of Psychological Safety, Making It Safe to Speak Up. Now, what, what is psychological safety and, and why is it so important when you're creating a safe culture within an organization? So, so psychological safety um, 
here's my thoughts on psychological safety. And I, and I have real thoughts about it um, because uh, I'll explain why. Um, so I think psychological safety uh, is a term, describes something that's always been around in good, in good safety programs uh, and in good safety cultures. Um, and it means that uh, information flows, employees feel safe to speak up. Basically, it's a safety uh, to speak up uh, about concerns, uh, about ideas for improvement, uh, about things that you think are wrong, things that you think are unsafe. So we all we all know that 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 has had different names through the years. Um, I think one of the great things about psychological safety is it's a concept that's caught on right now. I think it's an idea whose whose time has come. Um, it was uh, really started by uh, uh, Professor Amy Edmondson at, at Harvard, who's written some great books on it, did a great TED talk on it, and uh, talks about the the uh, willingness to take um, or the, the feeling of confidence to take an interpersonal risk um, when you're on a team or when you're in a group and to say something. Okay, now, um, you know, the National Safety Council, I believe it was last week, uh, it's a week right before Thanksgiving, um, held its first ever psychological safety summit. And it was a virtual all day. I mean, I was honored to be on you know, the opening panel for that and talk about the history of psychological safety. Um, and the idea that, that the council has put it in its uh, focus uh, uh, by devoting an entire uh, you know, virtual conference, uh, psychological safety conference, and, um, and they have a research branch now that's working on it and have talked about its connection uh, to safety, I, I think you know, really, really is, is super important. So from the standpoint of you know, my work uh, over the last 30 years in safety culture, um, I have always emphasized the uh, establishing of grassroots uh, safety culture teams um, where uh, folks who are doing the work uh, do have a forum to talk with each other uh, and with management about the problems that they see. And what we've seen in that is by providing that voice to union or non-union employees, they they do identify problems, uh, safety problems. They do come up with solutions. Uh, they do implement those those solutions. So so it it is something I feel we've been doing for you know for de for decades. But the great thing about psychological safety is is we now we all everybody working in the safety field we now it's been branded now, and I and you can go. I get telephone calls from people. I mean, I just finished a a psychological safety culture assessment for a major uh, Washington DC US government branch. So they were so interested in psychological safety that they said, we want to know, uh, you know where our employees are, what their perceptions are, what their culture is. With respect to the feeling of speaking up, do they feel confident? Do they think there'll be retaliation and so on and so forth? So, so I think that um, for those of us who work in safety fear for a long time, on one hand, there's nothing new about it. On, on, the, on the other hand, it's a great opportunity, a window of opportunity, because management who may not know that much about, about the innards of the safety program are now saying to safety, safety managers, hey, I hear about the psychological safety thing. Are we doing that? And if not, it's just like it was with, you know, BBS. It's just like it was with safety culture in the, you know, back in the day. And now this is the newest thing. But, you know, but it doesn't have to be a fad. It can, it can be something like uh, emotional intelligence at one point was a fad. Now everybody does it. It's built in. It's not a fad. And I think that's what's happening with psychological safety. So I think it's very important uh, 
part part of a safety culture, critical part. Now, now you mentioned the the idea of kind of a grassroots part of of psychological safety. When and when I think of grassroots, I really think of almost outside of the structured norm, kind of coming in and and presenting new ideas. Is that what you've seen in terms of employees now? understanding that it's okay to speak up and really point out some of the some of the current issues that are being seen yeah i think in some companies that's what happens and i i know one one utility actually has a uh, speak up uh cultural program okay and yes people are not on any given team that makes them feel confident that they can come in and present their ideas i think the other thing I'm, i am talking about though Catherine, is, is more of a structured grassroots uh, effort where there are specific teams that uh, made, up, made up of frontline workers that know uh, that uh, you know, safety department and management want to hear their ideas and then they, they come forward with them. And uh, they, they, you know, in, including uh, you know, and anything having to do with safety and health and that they do feel their ideas are welcomed. Uh, and uh, look, I, I remember, I just, uh, I, I remember working at a Toyota plant uh, outside of St. St. Louis, and this plant manager was Charlie, he was fabulous. Um, he was so committed to safety. He could not understand why um, his uh, line workers um, uh, would reach into uh, the line when it was, when it was moving, okay? Um, and he did everything to try to get them to stop, to stop that. And he was really committed. He was passionate about safety. Um, and uh, so we put together a grassroots team and said, what do you guys think? And, and they took a look at it. And they came back to Charlie and said, here's what we think. There's actually 55 east stops on this line. And, uh, you know, none of our employees know there's 55 ways to stop this line so yeah they see the production line going they just jump on it because they know you want production but we're going to do some training with them we're going to walk them around the line we're going to show them all 55 e-stops we'll solve your problem for you charlie and uh and they did and i remember when charlie was you know talking about this in the town hall he was crying he, and, and he said i now get it there are problems that management can't fix because management doesn't even see it and by empowering the workforce, you know, in, th in this case, I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, you know, you're helping everybody's safety. And we and we finally, people are not, you know, jumping on the line to uh, remove a part or spare part. I mean, so grassroots really, you know, that's just the reality. There are many, many issues that they don't, that only folks in the front line see and only they can fix. Right. And it I think the idea of psychological safety really calls to mind Dorn's philosophy that we call engagement through education and empowerment. And it, it really is about creating a culture where the employees are, are able to communicate kind of where those current issues are, but also using that, that knowledge to create data and to create actually a program that they can really have those changes happen. You know, uh, now, you, you mentioned kind of how sometimes the supervisors or the management isn't especially, you know, possibly aware that certain current issues are occurring. You know, how, how can safety managers engage their senior management in creating those injury prevention and wellness programs? Uh, so I, I think um, when it comes to senior management, 
the first thing that safety managers really, really do need to do is identify whether the uh, senior managers they, they want to influence are already committed to safety or whether they're neutral or whether they're just oppositional. Okay, because you got to approach each one of those differently. If they're already committed to safety, then it's obviously a lot easier and uh, you know, to introduce really good programs to them. Um, and, and always look, the most valuable asset uh, to a safety manager uh, that a senior manager has is the senior manager's calendar. And to get them uh, or to speak to their admin or whatever, to get 10 minutes, 20 minutes of their time on some regular basis by getting on their calendar and having them come down to the floor or having them see what, you know, take the time to see the program. I think with, with senior managers who get it, it's pretty easy. I think with senior managers who are neutral, that the best way to get them engaged in safety programs is actually to um, uh, introduce them to peer companies and, and send them out on a benchmark. And uh, I've seen numerous, uh, you know, senior vice presidents of supply chain or senior vice presidents of manufacturing or plant managers just, you know, have those aha, you know, conversions by by going and seeing somebody and not always not always even in the same industry, but a CEO somewhere, you know, who who has transformed their safety culture. And it gives, you know, the the manager who's kind of in, in, in between, you know, they're 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 neutral you know, the belief that they can do it. So I think, mm -hmm. I think for them, uh, that's the way it works. For oppositional, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the <laughs> for, for the senior leaders that are oppositional, uh, honestly, the only thing I've ever, I've ever seen that work, and there may be other things too, um, is, is, is the hard business case of the cost, um, that uh, uh, having accidents, uh, you know, on employees uh, who, who, who are, you know, in workers' comp, and, uh, and then what can happen mm -hmm. if you implement this, uh, the safe to say to say, but that, that that I have seen that work, and I, I haven't seen a lot of a lot of other things work. Um, but look, I, I do think, think back to your earlier question that most senior managers these days, um, you know, in in, in well-run, uh, you know, USA companies, um, you know, they 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 understand about safety, and they and they care about employees, and they and they care, and so it's it's much more a matter of how do you introduce to them. Um, you know, the uh, a new idea or and, and, and possibly getting into benchmark. I think absolutely the the data that senior management can be provided in terms of, like you said, work comp costs. I mean, that that that's going to snowball if, if you don't have those safety programs in place, if you don't have that that culture that's actively trying to make sure that the you know, like like we said, the workers with ingrained work habits are being seen, but also the new hires. You know, how is your orientation working? How how, how are you training your new employees so that these work comp costs are not are not happening in the first place? You know, and and creating that communication, I think, is so important in those variety of different industries. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. The, uh communicating right across all of those aspects of, of a safety program you just mentioned, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, in a recent article, you described workplace safety with safety programs being the meat and potatoes and safety culture being the broth, which, which I really love that because I think everyone can see that. Now that's something physical that they can imagine. Now, expand on that if, if you could of just 
how, how you can see that working and having people actually see that within their organizations. Yeah, at, at, uh, at Coaching Change Consultants, we call that the stew in the broth analogy, okay? And, and, uh, and here, here's how this came about. So look, when I started talking at National Safety Council, uh, you know, in the early 80s uh, about safety culture, um, people used to say, why are you putting the word safety and culture in the same sentence? Where are you getting the, these ideas? Are you sitting in a hot tub in California and uh, eating, you know, sandwiches of alfalfa sprouts? Um, I mean, you know, and what are you smoking? I mean, this, the word culture had no place in the safety field. And I realized that I had to come up with some analogies, uh, some language, culture is so much a part of language that people would uh, be able to understand why we're talking about culture and we're not just talking about the traditional thing of safety programs. And, you know, the analogy we came up with was that safety programs can be likened to the solid ingredients uh, in a safe, in a safety store, in a stew, pot of stew on the stove, you know, and you got to have good safety programs. So your incident investigation program, your PPE, your safety meetings, you know, that's your, you know, that's that that's your meat and potatoes. And and you want you don't just want a regular incident investigation like old hamburger meat. You want a really good one like good sirloin. Okay, so you get and companies spend a lot of time on uh, because that's what compliance and OSHA looks at the safety programs. So they look at the meat and potatoes. But the part of this analogy that works is that meat and potatoes sit in something in a stew. And what they sit in is the liquid. They sit in a broth. And the culture is the broth. So a, a positive, uh, uh, wholesome, healthy culture uh, broth, you know, the, the ingredients in there are responsiveness and commitment uh, and psychological safety and good leadership uh, and, you know, so on. The, uh, uh, the unhealthy nutrients or the negative broth um or it could be the rancid broth is the focus on numbers over people uh it's never getting back when somebody brings in a safety concern it's mistrust in the in the culture mistrust in the broth uh it's double standards and you know uh, production over safety so those kinds of things so you can have the best sirloin but if it's sitting in a rancid broth you throw your sewer and the analogy there is uh you know, most companies spend 90% of their time and 90% of their dollars on the meat and potatoes. They go to the grocer and they get great safety programs. But if the broth, if the culture isn't healthy, you're not going to get much out of your safety program. So you got an incident investigation program and Steve has an accident and, you know, Catherine, my supervisor, comes up to me and it's a healthy broth, a good culture. And hey, Steve, what happened? We want to learn, you know, and I'm going to tell you what happened and you're going to get it out and other people so they don't get it. But mm -hmm. you move to the same safety program, incident investigation, uh, same supervisor, Captain, we now move to a different company, you know, and you say, hey, Steve, you know, you're having another accident. My numbers are terrible. You know, I can't believe you're getting hurt. Tell me what happened. And what Steve's going to do in that kind of a rancid broth and negative safety culture you know, Steve's going to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, Catherine, I'm going to, I'm going to call on my shop steward. You know, uh, I'm not telling you what happened because there's going to be punishment, retaliation, discipline, you know, a letter in my file or worse. So it's the same program, the same meat and potato and a different broth. And I guess the, the, the final point on this is the reason we found this language to be so helpful is really for senior management because the creation of the meat and the potatoes is the safety department responsibility. 
And we hear a lot of safety senior managers say, well, yeah, but safety's not mine. You know, I hired you to get this for me. But the broth is the senior managers. They create the culture. And once they get that concept, you can engage them very, very heavily into uh, the, you know, the safety world. Uh, from the culture standpoint, they're being leaders of the culture, not from the compliance, uh, you know, running the safety program part. So that's, thanks for asking that question. We're proud of the meeting of the stew in the broth uh, analogy. I think it, it, it helps, it's helped a lot of companies to understand that culture and programs go together, but they're different and culture does get run by the uh, operations side. Absolutely. And, and knowing that communication is such a large part of safety, it's telling, you know, an, an employee, this is the proper way to move to improve their body mechanics. But it's also, like you said, that communication between management, supervisors, and say the workers out on the floor, understanding where those current issues are, how things can be improved, that that's so much of, of building within an organization, you know, everything from productivity to, to retention of, of employees, you know, employees will, will stay at a company much, much longer if they feel like they're being seen by a company, if they're, they feel like they're being taken care of. And it's, it's really exciting to see that growth within different organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think of, I'd say, true safety and injury prevention, what, what are the three fundamental ideas or building blocks that companies need to keep in mind when they're looking to create those safety cultures? So, okay, what are three really fundamental building blocks? I, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, I, I think that first, um, companies need to realize that for the last hundred years, traditional safety has worked around safety programs in the three E's, engineering, enforcement. Those are the three pillars. Okay, that's traditional safety. That's compliance. That's what OSHA. Culture is different from compliance. Um, so understanding that uh, work in the culture, uh, I guess, needs to be as intense as work in the programs uh, is the first for if you're going to work the culture you gotta you gotta uh, know what it is and realize that its impact is uh, just as important uh, and in many cases because so many programs sorry so many companies now have excellent safety programs you know they're not going to get much more marginal benefit out of working another program they've got to really focus on the culture i would say focus on the culture um, is number one. Uh, number two, second building block in, in, in building culture is to realize that um, from a culture standpoint, leadership means all levels. It is, it is not synonymous with, with management and that um, all constituents, uh, all members of the, of, of the organization need to, be, uh, need to be engaged in moving forward, um, uh, both with their ideas and their commitment. And, uh, um, and which takes time, but uh, you know you can't just do it top down. You can't just do it management only. So I think the second building block is, you know, spending the time uh, at the grassroots and supervisor. Uh, we haven't talked too much about that, but obviously at the, uh, you know, at the, at the admin management supervisor levels um, as well. So I would say that that's 
that's the second building block. Um, and I guess I think the third uh, is, yeah, I, I, I think the third is, is to recognize that safety, that establishing, building, sustaining a safety culture is really a journey. Um, it's not a pro program. There may be different processes, but it's really a journey. And, and I'll never forget, I mean, just my, you know, this wonderful experience that made this point so great. I was uh, on a Friday afternoon once talking to, in a GE plant and the GE, you know, plant manager at the end of a couple hour workshop on safety culture. This was, you know, back a while. I uh, turned to a safety manager and said, I love this safety culture stuff. Get me one of those by Monday morning. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and that is in contrast to, I, you know, I had the privilege of presenting to the global head of safety for Toyota um in uh in america in kentucky at the big plant there and the uh safety guys took me out to dinner the night before said have you ever presented to a japanese executive i said no and they said here's the thing um he's going to be uh there at eight o'clock in the morning and he's going to sit there with his eyes closed don't take it personally um he's listening i said okay and don't ask him as he's listening uh it's a loss of face and uh and 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 don't ask uh, uh, if he understands the English. He's got a translator sitting next to him, but he speaks English just fine. Okay, so we're going along. About 15 minutes into my presentation, I say, um, yeah, and you know, the thing about building safety culture is, uh, I guess we found it's five to seven years in a single plant, um, seven to 10 years in a business unit, and probably 10 to 20 uh, in a, you know, in a, in a full organization, full company. Um, and you can kind of measure it by when, if the current leadership leaves, you know, are all the new habits, all the new norms still, still there. And at that point, um, this, this head of global safety for Toyota, he went like this, his eyes were closed, he went, no rush. <laughs> I remember thinking, you got the GE guy, get me one of those safety cultures by Monday morning. And then, then you've got Toyota, that I remember thinking they really do think like an 150 year time frame the way they're reputed to. And uh, mm -hmm. they, of course, the Toyota production system and the Toyota way are culture and this, you know, culture ways they run their company. So I think the third thing is have a lot of patience uh, when you're building a safety culture, realize it's a journey and uh, it's, it's not a destination. And, and just like you're working on the other parts of your safety programs, you're always working on the part, assessing and you know improving your safety culture. So that's, that's my third. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's great. Because I think having organizations understand that it is not that overnight phenomena of, oh, absolutely, you know, here's safety, just go and do that. It 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 really is about, like you said, creating that culture, creating that understanding and communication, and ultimately. Kind of the way you said Toyota thinks in 100, 150 years, that's going to make your business last as long as it can because of that safety culture. Exactly. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, we've always, I've always had that point of view, and my team and I, Culture Change Consultants, I think the thing we're proudest of is we actually have clients that have been on the journey for 29 years, 25 years, 21 years. They, they, there are, you know, major companies that uh, have worked, worked for years and, uh, and get the results, you know, in part because they got the concept 
that uh, you know building your culture is worthwhile, and uh, you know it takes it takes a lot of time um, and and commitment, but you get the results. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Simon, so much for joining me today. Uh, I this was really great. It's it's so important in organizations to to create that culture and and it's exciting to to hear just the different mindsets that you've seen and and how you've worked through those different mindsets well thank you captain i've enjoyed uh, you're a great interviewer and i've enjoyed the <laughs> tour of the conversation i've enjoyed i've enjoyed the conversation yeah well thank you and and thank you all for joining doran's injury prevention academy Tune in next time to learn more about the innovative steps and programs taking place in today's world of safety. Mm -hmm.